Welcome to the For the Church Podcast, another great gospel-centered resource for Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm in the beautiful Spurgeon Library studio. The lights are on, these little chandelier things. <laughs> I see Spurgeon's uh, manly signature above the stately doors. There's a student right in eyesight looking at his laptop computer when there's so much beauty around him. Wow. Ronnie, what's up with that? <laughs> We just need a voiceover of you describing the, the wonderful you, Spurgeon you, Library. When you come in here, day. you want to drink it in. It is amazing. I'll yeah. say. I'm here with Ronnie Kurtz, my colleague here at Midwestern Seminary and partner in For the Church Radio. Ronnie, how you been doing, brother? I'm doing well. How I are feel you like it's been a month since we talked. I know. Always. There's, it's ne- we can never talk often enough. It wasn't five minutes ago. It was, literally, <laughs> it was a month. What? That's what, right. Hey, you know, we've been beginning the last couple of episodes of you and me with a with a beef uh, uh, of mine. Uh, we've talked about black beans. Yeah, I don't like them. Yeah, uh, they're made up. Uh, I'm talking about computers and cars. That's right. Um, yeah, I want to keep the streak going, I, but I'm wondering, well, like, what's on your? I don't want to just occupy all of the grievance <laughs> time. Well, what's something that's like grinding your gears, wow. brother? What's the fly I, you in your know, ointment? <clears throat> I don't know that I have a lot. You I like think, everything? No, You're so you, you did once. Make fun of me for being a part of the get along gang. So the get along. Do you even know what that is? <laughs> I have no clue what that is. When did I say that get along uh, gang? I I once tweeted. Okay. That I and this is a perfect topic to talk about with okay. what you just said. I once tweeted that I um try hard to not have really controversial opinions about just oh, rudimentary things. Yeah. So I'm fine with GIF or JIF. I'm fine huh. with. Uh, the toilet paper over or under. Oh, I'm fine with pineapples on pizza or not. Yeah, it's all fine to me. Okay, you know, I I don't have a strong opinion about any of those things. The get along gang. This is when you said I'm part of the get along gang. Yeah, that's so. a, that's another '80s reference. Yeah. I'm becoming known for that as well. Yeah, that's, things that kind I think of, that's three episodes I'm in a row. Way above the millennial. Yeah. Uh, Here's uh, something that grinds my gears. Culture aptitude. Okay? okay, I'll be I'll be brave. Okay, and it's, it's kind of along the get along gang as well. Okay, in a way, I have become pretty annoyed. With sports fans oh. ripping on other sports fans' cities. Okay. Why? I, I think r- good fandom should just be cheering on your particular team, <laughs> not going at another person's particular mm, team no or city talk. or – I don't know. Just – That should all be nice. You know, you don't You're have looking to, forward to the new heavens and the new earth. Brother, I am. Where man. everyone's just walking in harmony with the That's Lord. That's right, yeah. When and they get along gang. When the New together. England Patriots <laughs> and the New York Jets lay down side by side with the Wow with the Lion and the Lamb. Yeah. When the when, yeah. the, when the Cowboys and the Redskins <laughs> walk hand in hand like Or even, you know, you hear like, Oh, that that team's sports fans, they're just so trash and they're so like unclassed. Like everybody has that. Everybody's sports. No, I mean, there's the Philadelphia Eagles. Stop. Even they say. Stop. Even they say. <laughs> I, I saw an Eagles. I saw the Patriots play the Eagles last yeah. last year. My my daughter gave me for my birthday tickets. It was the first Patriots game I've seen live, and um, went to go see the game. And but when I said that I was going, the Eagles fans, people living in Philly, were like, "Our fans are the worst, man." <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "Do not wear your Brady jersey." Did you? Uh, I, on the way. Uh, no, I did, but everything was covered up because it was okay. so cold. Oh, yeah, 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 so we had a natural out. But they, yeah. like, legit Philly fans were saying, we have the worst fans. I'm just telling you, be but safe. Listen, they're, one of our listeners surely is a, is a Philly fan, and they're yeah. a great guy. A oh, great for gal. sure. Yeah, there, there's always good people even. You know, there's good people in prison, Ronnie. <laughs> There's people who've turned their life around who've wow. been scared there's straight. A, there's even good people on this podcast. There's yeah, there's at least one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's at least one, and he's a member of the Get Along Gang. 
Uh, hey, you. we're talking about something pretty important. This is actually a submitted question for our uh, mailbag installment, and I thought it was significant enough, or at least we could talk about it enough, to kind of make it a standalone episode. So if you're the one who submitted this question, I don't, I don't have your name written down, but uh, and you were thinking, oh, man, they, they gave me the shaft. Uh, don't be a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't be like that. We're glad that you sent the question. We're, we're devoting a whole episode. So today, as you listen, you're repenting of your grievance from the last time when your That's question right. didn't make it. And it's just one of those things, you know, like you get upset about something and then it turns out in your favor. <laughs> so you should just walk in peace. The question is this, or the, the issue is this. What do you look for when you're looking for elders, right? You're establishing elders at your church or you're adding to your elder board. What are the sort of things you could look for? And I think, you know, obviously, um, you know, the the bar is set by the biblical qualifications. That's right. right? That's right. Um, so, I mean, there's not like we have to be scratching our heads about what are the, you know, the qualities, character, disposition, skill set that I'm looking for in terms of an elder. You're looking at First uh, Timothy 3, Titus 1, First Peter chapter 5. Those gives the outline of the qualifications for eldership. But let's go beyond that. I think we, you know we all agree that you want qualified men uh, to to serve as pastor. What are some other things that you want to be looking at, and how do you identify um, potential elder candidates, Ronnie? How do you do it at Emmaus? Yeah, one of the things that we look for um, more than probably anything. I mean, obviously, like you said, uh, Titus one, First Timothy three, First Peter. That that's that's our standard, right? That those are the qualifications that the Lord has ordained, and so that's that's going to be the test. However. Uh, beyond that, one of the things that we look for in potential elders is we ask this question all the time is, are they pastoring right now without the title? Is it just, is it a part of who they are to take care of God's people? Um, is it just, you know, is it, is it a task that they're going to convince themselves to perform one day when they get a title? Or is it truly a posture where they want to shepherd and lead and disciple and mentor and, and lay themselves down for the good of God's people. If we start to see that over and over again, we recognize that yeah, even more than just talent. You know, yeah. it's it's easy to find a guy who's fire in the pulpit and has no interest in taking care of the needs of the sheep. And we're just not interested in that. Yeah. But if we see a guy consistently serving people over and over again, it's like, okay, we need to watch this brother because there, there seems to be something in him, right, that, that's bent towards these things. Now it's it's Important to say that those those qualifications of abilities do need to be there, right? Because you could say to what I just said, well, you're just describing a faithful Christian. Yeah. yeah. And we need to be able to differentiate between faithful Christians and those people who are called, those men who are called to eldership. But it is a, it is a way that we see if there's a unique proclivity towards taking care of the needs of God's people, we want to see that. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, elder candidates are, the, are good elder candidates for those who they rise to the occasion – uh, in the sense of like if you're holding out the prospect of, of eldership, they aspire That's right. to the task, um, even if it hadn't occurred to them before that. They kind of rise to that occasion. And yet, as you said, they're not waiting for the bar being set explicitly to rise to it. They're yeah. already serving in some way. I heard uh, Jonathan Lehman share that um, with me several years ago about um, you know how they – as we were establishing elders at my last church, in fact, we were establishing – plurality, period. So uh, it was a solo pastor model. I, I realized we need to be uh, a, a plurality here. Um, you know, I want to reflect the biblical um, pattern for church governance and church leadership. So I need more elders. And so I began working with Jonathan in terms of like, okay, how, you know, what should I look out for? What should I yeah. do here? And I was surprised at the time um, that that's what he said. Essentially, we're looking for men who are already doing it. You know, um, we know a good 
uh, pastoral candidate is one who um, is not just a godly man, but someone who is already investing in those around him. He's mm-hmm. in a sense shepherding mm-hmm. um, people. Um, certainly, you know, not um, you know officially as an elder, of course, but um, yeah, he's he's ministering to those. He has an investment in the flock. Um, the, you know, those fellows tend to make the best candidates. The other thing he said, and I think we should explore this for a while because we both conduct uh, ministry residencies. We we yeah. both conduct training programs, so to speak, for young men who are who are aspiring for ministry. Something that also kind of took me back that um, I found super helpful. He said at Capitol Hill, uh, of course, they have the internship, which is somewhat famous there and, and, and that sort of thing. But there's no amp, um, program that's an on-ramp to eldership, which I found really notable. In other words, it's not you, you don't take raw material, um, someone who's not qualified, and you put them into a program. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the thing, yeah. I try to make the little biscuit <laughs> can popping. You put a the raw material in and then at the end, <laughs> at the end pops an elder, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I wish that existed. Uh, yeah, I wish that existed as well. Um, so, what's the the vetting process like then? How do you you know take a guy? You don't just say, "Hey, you're an elder now," <laughs> right? Um, there's got to be some means of assessment, of course, beyond "Hey, we think you've got the stuff." We, we've noticed what. How do you take a guy through to see if he really is qualified? Yeah, I I actually just did an interview a couple of days ago about the the residency, the pastoral residency we have at my church. And the person conducting the interview, I could tell they were taken back a little bit when I told them, so far, six years in, we've never had a class where every single person has completed the program. We've had a dropout of every class yeah. or multiple. And I I think they were taken back by that because they were thinking, well, doesn't that mean it's not successful? And I and I said the exact no, opposite. It, it of, means it actually, is. this is exactly <laughs> what we're hoping for. Yeah is I would much rather find out a brother is not called to ministry in the couple of years that we're vetting him than 10 years when he's made a mess of God's people. And uh, so there, I, I agree with you, Jared, there must be a vetting process of some kind. And if you look at the, if you look at those passages, we mentioned those three particular passages, you can kind of categorize a few things. You, You can basically see, okay, there needs to be a qualification of ability, right? They need to have a certain kind of ability. There seems to be a qualification of doctrine and theology, right? They must believe a certain way. There seems to be a qualification of character, right? They have to be above reproach. Um, and, and so I think it takes a bit of time to, um, to, to see those things in, in a particular brother. You know, I, you, I don't think you can tell very quickly if he has ability, if he has proper doctrine and has proper character. Uh, and there seems to be familial things too. So that would be the fourth right. The fourth category is how is he treating his family? And so I think the vetting process basically needs to be some kind of formal way in which you can um, watch those categories and, um, and ask hard questions of those categories. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously there can be a training process involved in terms of your training someone to be an elder at your church. Yes. Um, and, and, and through which or by which you're also assessing or pressing in on the different qualifications uh, you've observed and you have a good reason to think they are qualified. Um, and so you're vetting and, and assessing them. Uh, but it's not a training program where you've, you're taking the raw material and, and then out at the end pops an elder or, right. or they become elder qualified. You're testing those things. Maybe they, they become strengthened in certain um, qualities and qualifications as you go. It's similar uh, to what we do at Liberty as well. And we've had guys who have dropped out for various reasons 
Um, but we've also had guys who've become elders, you know, through the process, yes, yes, <laughs> you know, halfway through the process. We got, you know, this guy's qualified. We need another elder. There's congregational affirmation. That to me is another big piece is, um, whatever vetting or assessing that you're doing, that you're also, um, that the, the congregation is in agreement. We Absolutely. want to be shepherded. That's right. We would love to be shepherded by this man. And so you're not just sort of working unilaterally there, but there is some means of congregational affirmation of, of who's going to shepherd them. I want to press in further on some of the uh, qualifications and, and maybe even some red flags we might look for uh, through the assessment or training program. Uh, how do you identify uh, capable, qualified elders? Maybe you're wanting to add your elder board. Maybe you're establishing eldership for the first time. And you're looking at your congregation. We've already talked about how you might identify those who are already sort of doing it. They're men who give the uh, credible appearance and credible ministry uh, uh, of the qualification. You want to bring them in, have some process of assessment, some process of training, whether that's a formal, you know, months, year, you know, two years long training process, or it's just a means of assessment. Uh, at my last church, as we began to assess elders, um, I created essentially a questionnaire. I didn't have a residency program or or anything like that at that time. But I knew I couldn't just say, you know what, you seem like an elder to me and everyone else thinks so too. I needed to ask key questions. And so I created a set of really intensive questions that mm-hmm. first began doctrinally. And that was a mix of things, not just first order things, but I also just wanted to know second and third order. Not that um, maybe some of the third order stuff would be disqualifying but that they'd actually thought through those yeah. things, that they had opinions on those things, some biblical formed views on those things. Um, all of that aspect, the doctrinal set, we'll, we'll speak to some of the others in just a moment. But the doctrinal set of questions sort of speaks to the qualification able to teach, right? If you're looking at the biblical qualifications, in particular in First, uh, uh, First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, you see this, um, you know, being able to rightly divide the word or rightly apply the word. The, the able to teach is like the only skill set, so to speak. Yeah. It is a gift. It's the only skill set that's sort of there among sort of character and disposition issues. Um, what does that mean, being able to teach? Because I had guys that I reached out to when we were trying to establish elders that said, don't put me in the pulpit. And that gave me some kind of pause. Yeah. But they were guys who were faithfully <clears throat> teaching small groups and Sunday school classes. And so I knew they could teach. They had a certain conception of what it meant to be a pastor versus mm-hmm. that. Um, but then there are other guys who just said, I, I don't like public speaking, that sort of thing. And we had to figure out, well, what is able to teach really mean? What does it mean? At yeah, Emmaus? I think even that setup is a great answer to the question of I will admit that there would, there would be some hesitation if a brother said, I have absolutely no desire right. to preach what, I mean, if you do that, I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'd, I'd probably press in there a little bit just yeah. to, to see what's going on there. Uh, is there a fear of man? Is there, you know, something else beyond just not desiring public speaking? Um, but I think, I think the way you set it up is exactly right is, uh, are they able to teach? That's the question. Yeah. And so teaching doesn't look, it's not monolithic. There's not only one way to teach. It, we, we can look at teaching across the spectrum. And I think uh, if you have a brother who is faithfully teaching people, you know, right doctrine, right scripture um, in a small group setting, well, that's wonderful. I mean, amen. Uh, praise the Lord for that. And or if you have it, you know, in, in a number of ways in like a formal class structure, I know a lot of guys who are more comfortable in like a lecture type setting than they are in a preaching type setting. And I think that's wonderful. If, if they're gifted in that way, uh, I'm happy to use them in that way. Uh, so I think, yeah, able to teach can look a lot of different ways. What do you think about um, the pastor who says, um, I don't want to be up in front of anybody. 
but you know they understand the Word of God really well, and you you begin to think of able to teach as as um, maybe they're great across the table. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When when they when they have a group even or certainly a congregation, they don't tend to perform as well. Maybe they'll do it mm-hmm. right. I mean, I have guys like I'll do it, mm-hmm. but I'm not great at it or mm-hmm. I'm not good at it. That sort of thing. But you see them relationally. They sit down with yeah. someone. They've been discipling someone um, over an open Bible. To me, able to teach basically means you understand the Word of God uh, in a mature way, and you're able to help others understand yeah. it as well. Exactly. And so I'm not as concerned about whether the guy can get up and preach as well as the lead pastor or yep. the second you know, preacher. What I want to know is, can he teach the scriptures mm-hmm. to uh, uh, you know someone who needs to know them? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And maybe the format looks different. Maybe he's stronger across the table than than you and I, you know, you or I might be. Uh, but that is no less an ability to teach. Yeah, it doesn't mean ability to um, you know be great in public speaking. Um, I don't think so. Those are some things to consider. I do think the reluctance is something. I you know I brought up uh, an elder on board who was reluctant, and at first it was. Um, uh, impressive. I, it struck me as humble, mm-hmm. sort of like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Mm-hmm. It, I feel it over my head. And I think, well, every good pastor should feel in a sense too small for the task yeah, or something absolutely. like that. Um, but over time, and he didn't, you know, disqualify himself in sense of, you know, any kind of you know, gross moral sin or, or anything like that. Um, but he just always was insecure kind of in the role and, and always felt ill suited to the role. He didn't aspire to the task of eldership. He basically agreed because pastor was saying, we could really use you, mm-hmm. and you know I think you're gifted. And we went through um, you know questions. His doctrine was all sound, all those sorts of things. But he just didn't have the, as Peter says, this is why I think First Peter five is really helpful. Um, it's not typically brought in, but you know Peter talks about an eagerness and mm-hmm. being among the flock and and a willingness to shepherd. All of those things are like really key and really yes. important to uh, uh, to the work and and our aspects of uh, of one's character. Okay, we we talked about ability to teach. Um, as I worked through kind of these sets of questions with my potential elders, we had a, a whole set of rigorous doctrinal questions, first order all the way to third order. Um, but also we ha- I had a set of personal questions. I wanted to know about their spiritual disciplines. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know about their personal history. I wanted to even know some what we might consider personality type things. Like how do you respond to yes. stress? How do you respond yeah. to criticism? Those sorts of things. And then I had a, a sheet that was purely about family and marriage. Um, including some questions for um, potential elders' wives as well. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask them, how does your husband respond to stress? How does your your husband respond to criticism? Um, not that they would feel grilled or anything like that, but I just want to check the health mm-hmm. of some of those things. Um, wh- what are some red flags that you might see as you're doing an you know, assessment, um, as you're kind of pressing on some of these qualifications, looking at you know pressure points? What are some things that may come up aside from kind of a reluctance that you might think, oh, we may need to, you know, pump the brakes on that? Yeah, I think there's so many, um, so many red flags that can come up. I think, uh, two that, that come up that we have seen come up before is one is in the personal and then one is in the desire. So I'll come back to what you were just talking about with the personal, but even in the desire, you know, you kind of mentioned it briefly, just this, the, the first qualification of being an elder is that you want to be an elder that you aspire to the office. And I think there is a a bit of a a two-sided ditch when it comes to aspiring to the office. The the first side is uh, you hear, I mean, people 
you hear pastors almost wear it like a badge of honor, like, oh, I would rather do anything. Like, the Lord had to drag me kicking and screaming into this. <laughs> right. Hey, brother, uh, you probably should go do that. That's right. Like, that's <laughs> that's actually not a good story. That's not a good thing to be proud of. Yeah. It seems to be the, the quali- one of the first qualifications is that you want this thing. Right. And that you aspire for it. The other the other ditch, if, if not aspiring it at all, is one ditch. The other ditch is, you know, the guy who says, I'm going to be a pastor. And whether it's here or or somewhere yeah. else. Like, I, don't, I don't care what you say. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You're you're not going to – I've got this call from God and I'm going to fulfill it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we will say no to those guys equally as quick. Uh, and and the, the best thing I can hear from a, an applicant who's applying for our pastoral residency is I believe I'm called to ministry. I really believe that there's a calling on my life for ministry. But I know that's the local church's decision. Yeah. And so I feel an internal call. I want to confirm that with an external call of a local church. And so as long as you see fit, I'm going to submit myself until the church can, with, uh, you know, good conscience say, yes, you're called to ministry. Yeah. I think um, another important thing to think about, okay, so assuming, you know, you've got it sorted out. Okay, yeah, I want guys who are qualified, A. I want guys who are are called. They mm-hmm. are, um, you know, they do aspire. Uh, there's a willingness and eagerness there. B, um, yes, I want guys who are confirmed yeah. that the you know the church would recognize them as a pastor or you know, and and through whatever route we have um, for us as congregational vote, um, that they would uh, affirm that someone would be their pastor. C, um, but I'm also looking for um, a kind of diversity among. Yeah, the uniformity, right? You you want every guy to be qualified, and so in that sense, they're all the same. And yet, one thing to think about in terms of assessing elders is that you don't want um, all extroverts, mm-hmm. or all introverts, or all academic types, or all you know leadery types, or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, I think it's important to, to think through that. How how can your elder board, um, despite all being men and all being qualified men, how can they represent kind of the personality of your yeah. church or the makeup of your congregation that certain segments of your church might have representative. And that may be a generational thing. Hey, you know, for the last uh, 10 years, all of our elders have been under 30 and they're all qualified. There's no question that they're capable to shepherd the church, but we really should be looking for some older members mm-hmm. or vice versa, as often happens in uh, um, in many churches as well. All the elders are over 40 or over 50. You know what? Um, there's some mature believers in their you know 20s and 30s who um, could qualify. We ought to be looking at uh, yeah. diversifying. Um, maybe ethnic diversity, um, you know, is a, uh, uh, should be an issue in your congregation. But I also just think in terms of disposition, personality types, um, those who have different um, touch points with different segments of your church. Yes, um, I think all of those are really key That's things right. to think through as well. Yeah, we have we have elders on our team who they just in, intuitively they will not forget. The people who I'm prone to forget, yeah, and that is very helpful, yeah. You know, something else that that we say often in the in the training program is, and we, we've we've had to figure out, and this can be awkward to be totally honest, uh, how to bring this into the vetting process. But I have told our guys in the residency, if I get news in five years that some of you have disqualified yourself from ministry, I'm going to assume it's pertaining to sexuality. Mm. And so I think this has to be a conversation in the process. And, and part of the personal side that you're talking about is just um, what, what are you doing to fight for purity here? Yeah, because yeah. I don't want to sign up a guy to join the team who six years later 
we're, we're doing major cleanup because of sexual morality. Right. Um, so we, we want to address that early on as opposed to just, you know, assume everything's okay. So that's good. And then also just uh, something that you said that I think is important is just the culture of your team. Uh, there's, there's the, there's a sense in which obviously we want everyone to be quali- qualified, but culture really does matter too in yeah. terms of an elder team. And, and, um, that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. I mean, always remember this, this is something that Ray Orland told me a long time ago and, and, and I've repeated it often because I think it's true. Whatever your elders are, your church will become. Yeah, that's right. And so, th- I mean, that's one reason, of course, to make sure you're, you know, the men are qualified, but also that they, you know, have, you know, the appropriate diversity in terms of, you know, representing the congregation well. But also you want pastoral men, yeah. not just theologically rigorous men. You want that. Not just men who can speak well in, in you know, in front of groups. You, you want that. Um, you want all the benchmarks that the qualifications hold out, but you also want men who, um, have a disposition of gentleness, which is one of the qualifications, um, that they, that they're Jesus-y. Yeah. In the sense, they, they, they smell like the shepherd. That's right. That's how close to them they are. And if you do that, you're ensuring over time that their investment and leadership of your flock will uh, bring your flock closer and closer to uh, conformity to Christ as well. Okay, I think that's a good note to end on. This is a pretty good topic to discuss. Thanks for coming on, Ronnie. Of course. Thanks Thanks, for having me. Thanks for being here. Of course. Uh, I'll see you probably in five minutes. We'll (laughs) we'll pretend like it's another month. I like it. Yeah, it's good. Hey, dear listener, thanks so much for listening to the For the Church podcast. As always, if you enjoy what you hear, share us with your friends. Give us a good review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. Uh, Disregard that grammatically incorrect sentence (laughs) that I realized I was making as I said it. And until next time, as always, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.